Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan, joined as always by my friend and partner and CEO of Startups.com, Will Schroeder. Will, we build startups for lots and lots of reasons as founders, and we follow a lot of different information in terms of the signals that we use to decide what to build. But we want to unpack one today that tends to be a little dangerous, which is letting your investors start to drive the roadmap and basically treating them like they're your customer. Where does this happen? Why does this happen? Let's let's beat it up, man. Well, it's happening a lot right now because sure uh, nobody's buying <laughs> and <laughs> yep. investors are the only people putting the money in. And if we get to this thing, I think it starts early. I think it starts in the, the, the very, very formative stages where we start raising money for the first time. And you, Ryan, you and I hear this all the time. People are like, oh, what will investors want to hear? And I'm like, well, hold on a second. It's, it's good that you're thinking about your audience. But at the same time, at the same time, you also have to realize the investors are a mechanism to get to your actual customers. They're not your actual customers. So when an investor says, well, you need to be doing X, Y, Z. Cool. Is that what your customers want? Or is that what an investor wants? We start very early with this concept that we should optimize for what investors want. And at first, it seems like not a big deal. It seems the price of admission, right? You know, for getting your first cash. And I get that. We're very vulnerable at that. However, as time goes by, as more time goes by, where we start needing more and more capital, the classic thing that, that's that's blowing up on everybody right now, when we're recording this episode, I was like, timestamp it. What is this, August of 2023? We are in hopefully the lowest ass end of the global funding winter, right? And right now, no one can get funded, which means all of those companies that were given money before and investors told to grow as fast as they can, revenue be damned, we're all paying for it. And guess who they're trying to go to to fill in the blanks to be able to get their revenue right now? Yep, right back to investors. Yep. That's where the challenge ends. We get on this, this treadmill and we can't get off of it. Yeah, which look, like you said, it's, it's a bit of a necessary evil in the beginning. You got to tell people to some degree what they want to hear. You got to be doing something that seems appealing to them. And I think we see this come in two flavors. We've talked about this before. And so I just want to draw the distinction between two types of investor feedback. One tends to be before they invest, the other is after. The one before they invest is, well, we might be interested if you do X, Y, or Z, right? We've talked about this. This is a load of shit. This is just a nice way of saying, <laughs> go away. We don't want to talk to you, but we don't tell you we want to talk to you, right? So the, the other version of this is, you know, post-funding where they start to, you've made some promises or you've, you've said some things, they've said some stuff back and it's, they, they start to like take the reins a little bit in ways that are, are less than healthy and start to drive that roadmap and define that. So just want to make that subtle distinction. But yeah, in the absence, like right now where we are, you know, the, especially when capital's dried up, I think that two things happen. One, we've got an economic crisis booming again, booming. I don't know if the economic crisis is boom. I don't, I don't Anyways. <laughs> feels pretty booming as a crisis. Yeah. And there's a crisis. So people aren't buying, right? So, you know, it's not a great time to be figuring out how to sell something. And so if the cash isn't there for that, we got to go to investors. Well, we're also in a funding crisis in that regard. And I think this makes people even more susceptible to this. So they're even more likely to say, look, I will wear whatever hat. I will jump through whatever flaming ring. I will do whatever it takes to get to that capital. And I think, again, there's a point in time where that actually makes sense and you may have to do that. But at some point, we have to transition back from investor as customer to customer as customer. <laughs> Otherwise, we're just in the yeah, business yeah. of raising and spending other people's money, which does have a top limit. Yeah, but hold on. But that's exactly what we're talking about. I don't think founders get that, Ryan. I don't think founders understand that Like, once you start raising capital, and it's you know, a necessary part of a lot of businesses, but once you start raising capital, 
you are now in the capital raising business. Here's how people go into it. Most startups go into it. Almost all founders. I'm trying to think of one that didn't. I, I can't think of a single case. We go into it and we start off with this. I'll raise capital. It's a pain in the ass. It's a little painful because I have to, you know, give up equity and things like that. But I do it because it's a means to an end. And that end is very important to me. So here's what will happen though. What will happen is I'll raise some capital and then I'll never need it again. Or I'll, you know, when I need it again, it, it'll be easier because I've already raised it. Whatever. Rosier days ahead. That's, that's how I start. What I fail to understand is that once I start drawing down on money that I haven't made, the only way to keep going is to draw down on more money that I haven't made. <laughs> and, and again, the hope, the plan, so to speak, that never materializes is that I'll raise, I'll use it, I'll create a profitable business, and I won't need to raise again. Happens almost never. We all keep hearing it. So let's talk about that. But once we start on this track, how could we possibly get off of it if not for customer revenue, which is our problem, right? Yeah, I mean, there isn't really another version, right? I mean, the, the only other thing would be that you've somehow gotten to the point where you get acquired pre-revenue or at revenue that's at least below expenses where you're still burning happens. But yeah, again, like it's a, such an outlier that I don't think it's worth talking about. There's a very good point that you're making here, which is that the longer we go down this path, the harder this gets. The longer we stay in pitch to investors versus provide to our customers, the harder it gets to cross that chasm back, right? Particularly if we've done something really crazy, like continue to build things that are counter to what the actual market wants or needs oh, that I mean, are sure. what the investors are steering us towards. And then we run into my, my least favorite P word in all of startup land, which is the pivot, right? Which is now like, okay, now, now we're going to pivot to what? customers. Well, holy shit, who would have guessed that was coming, right? But we see this time <laughs> and time again, because we optimize for things that have nothing to do with driving outcomes for our customers, with creating a transformation for our customers, for creating value for our customers, which is why people will pay us in the end, right? Well, st stick with that for a second, though, because I think folks may not realize, it, you know, if you've been funded, then you definitely realize it. But if you haven't, I, I want folks to understand this. You are just as vulnerable at the beginning of fundraising as you are at the end of fundraising. Let's talk about what that looks like. At the beginning of the fundraise, you have no money. <laughs> you're broke, right? So unless, unless somebody writes a check to you, you're not going anywhere. So that person has infinite power over you, right? And so when you say, oh, I'll, I'll make some concessions or I guess I'll go with what this person's saying in order to get the cash, feels like a means to an end. You're vulnerable. You don't have the cash. If you don't say that, you get nothing. But legitimately in the back of your head, you're thinking it won't be this way forever. That's the problem. Now we fast forward to the other end of the spectrum where you're series C, you've raised your, your third round of venture capital, you know, not counting your seed rounds before that. And you've just raised 50, $100 million. So I'm going as far as you, know, as you can go, right? Mm -hmm. and, and at that point, you're like, well, if I need to raise more money because I am so far ahead of revenue. When we say they're so far ahead of revenue, I mean, my expenses are $100 and my revenue is $10, right? Like, so the only way, the only way that I could possibly support that gap is with investor capital, especially with the timing and everything else like that. So if that's the case, guess what, dude? Investors are your customer. You're not building for customers and you hope to build for them someday, but you are so overloaded. The only way to persist this business is to, to cater to investors. And all along the way, your focus is so driven away from the actual business Right now, you and I talked about this before. Think of how much time we spent 
not pitching investors. Yeah, and, it, and it's a big deal. It's it's a massive distraction, right? So take away, you know, even just being misdirected by investors and saying like, look, we just have to do what they're telling us to do because they gave us the money to do whatever it is that we can do. There's also that aspect, right? Which is when we're on the fundraising trail, it's a full-time job and then some, right? And a full-time job that doesn't actually have a defined outcome. It's not like, okay, you know, if I put 50 hours in to coding, I'm going to build some features. If I put 50 hours into fundraising, I've spent 50 hours. That's the only guarantee is that that time is gone. And maybe I've had some conversations, maybe I've learned something. But oftentimes what we learn is it contributes to this exact thing that we're talking about today, which is I learned some stuff that's caused me to change my direction by talking to a very specific population of people who are not my customers, who at the <laughs> exactly. end are the only people that matter to the business. The investors matter to the fundraise. They don't matter to the business, right? Not in the sense of in terms of ongoing revenue and actually being viable. The investors don't matter. They might get us to customers, but if they don't, they don't sustain us long-term. They're not just like, you know what? I really like you guys. Let's not worry about selling to anybody. <laughs> I'm just going to fund you. Just right. building stuff that nobody wants, and I'll keep giving you my money. Not going to happen. The other thing to consider is if you haven't been through this, you know, folks that are listening that haven't been through the fundraising cycle, you have experienced this. You, you saw this from the outside. I'll give you an example. People building for investors. Two years ago, Ryan, every single pitch deck we saw was name whatever business model there is yep. on the blockchain. Yep. Everything, everything had to be on the blockchain. Everything, right? yeah. Now, just to be clear, nothing had to be on the blockchain. <laughs> like yeah. it was like, but that's where investors were putting money. So all of a sudden, everybody had an idea that everything had to be on, on the blockchain. And if you're not sure that that's how it went down, the moment that FTX collapsed, and that was the moment, right? The moment that FTX collapsed, investors all ran the, the other way. That was the last day I ever saw a pitch deck with blockchain on it, right? I mean, it was almost like somebody just turned out the lights. Now every pitch deck has AI on it. Yeah, <laughs> just, it was a lovely find and replace exercise, you know? Right, right, Control right. F, right, here we go. Right, I have a new energy drink that's powered by AI. <laughs> what? Right. But this is exactly, so I'm saying folks from the outside that may haven't even been fundraising yet, you've seen these trends, you've seen how this works where folks quickly just say, oh, I guess this is where the money's coming from, so I'm gonna go follow the money. Now, there's some smart people that would say that's a good strategy. If you're building something, it's a lot easier to raise money on trend, meaning you're doing with what people are investing in, than counter trend, like as a blockchain right now, right? And so, and that's true. If, if, you're, if you're trying to fundraise, it will always be easier to be on trend. But that's sort of the point. If your business has nothing to do with blockchain, if your business has nothing to do with AI, and all you're doing is trying to force feed it to get investors to invest in it, you're already headed down this path. Yeah, you have to believe. You have to believe that it's on trend and on point for some problem within the market. That's the problem. If you're just on trend, you may be able to go and raise money. Ask everybody that raised money for blockchain who's no longer a business, right? If you don't have both components, you're not raising money for a business. You're raising money for an experiment that will ultimately fail. Right. There's just there's no way there's no way to do it. Right. There's no way if the, if the market doesn't want what you're building, it doesn't matter how much money you raise to build it. They still don't want it. Doesn't matter. Right. So this is where we have to be super careful. Yes, on trend will be easier to raise money, but make sure that you've got a point. Make sure that there's something behind the trend that says there's also a business here. The problem is, is this always is a, a trap door at the end. 
that's the part that we're talking. Yes, you'll raise money faster if you're on trend. Of course you will, right? That's what people are saying yes to. Of course you will. By the way, it doesn't mean you have to. It just means, yes, that would be easier. But what happens is, and this is what we're talking about, it begins a domino effect, right? That happens over and over and over. And, and let, me, let me tell you the one that's most consistent because you are seeing it everywhere right now. The domino effect leads to this. A smart investor will sit across from you and they'll say, hey, guess what? In order for us to go raise more money, we have to show growth. And, you know, you haven't lost your mind yet. So your first reaction is, well, yeah, but, you know, we don't really have the revenue or anything. And what they'll say is, doesn't matter. You don't need to have any of that. What you need to have is growth because investors want to invest in growth. You know how you get growth? You sign office leases, you hire lots of people, you make big marketing announcements, you make big partnerships, et cetera, with the hope that that will turn into growth, you know, actual growth later. But there's a theory, and while lately it's been wrong, there's also been cases where it's been right. The most capitalized, fastest growing startup, let's take revenue off the table for a second, will typically be the winner in a space. Now, the, the other side is it'll also be a colossal loser. Ryan, I don't know if you saw the headline today, and by, by the time this, this publishes, my, my guess is a lot of people have seen it. WeWork just announced that they're on the verge of going bankrupt, which is going to have a massive ripple effect. A lot, a lot of outcomes from that one. You know, something that's really funny about everything we talk about here is that none of it is new. Everything you're dealing with right now has been done a thousand times before you, which means the answer already exists. You may just not know it, but that's okay. That's kind of what we're here to do. We talk about this stuff on the show, but we actually solve these problems all day long at groups.startups.com. So if any of this sounds familiar, stop guessing about what to do. Let us just give you the answers to the test and be done with it. And to be fair, that was a real business. I mean, as much as it got and as much as, you know, oversold as it was and it was, it was just a real estate business. Like, it wasn't complicated, right? So yeah, the, the valuation didn't exist, but the business model existed until COVID. <laughs> so it didn't, right? They are the poster child for a company whose growth, how many people were hiring, in their case, literally how many you know office leases we're taking on to rent out to other people, was a sign of their success. Yeah, they raised a lot of money on vanity metrics, right? And that works when you're raising. How much of this is driven by the fact that, especially early money in, is relying on follow-on investment, right? If you're if you're in at the pre-seed or the seed stage, even Series A, what you want is for that startup to go on and continue raising money, continue creating value in that company, and, and this is where your liquidity comes from at some point, right? So part of betting on trend from an investor perspective is predicated on the, the idea that because I'm betting on trend, there's a likelihood that other people will follow on and also bet trend. That's why it's a trend. We're already seeing it, right? We know that there's, there's likely follow-on money for this, and I feel like that's where a lot of this comes from. And this is why the investors, because the investors aren't stupid either, right? This is where we're making it sound like, well, if why can't they see this? And this is their money being put in. Well, they do see this, but they're still, they have to make bets. But the way their bets pay back and what they have to optimize for is significantly different, especially at that earlier stage money, than what a founder has to do to get their money back out of the business. Correct. And look, to your point, Ryan, the investors look at this and they're like, hey, here's how I get paid. I get paid for two outcomes. One is when I get what's called a markup from one round to the next. I'm, I'm saying this for folks listening. And what that means is if I invest in your company at a $10 million valuation, but the next investor invests at a $100 million valuation, the markup is the difference between that $10 million that I invested in and the $100 million that it's theoretically worth now. So my incentive is just to see you get lots of other rounds at a much higher markup. Why? Because the people who give me money, the limited partners, the LPs, 
Look at the performance of my fund and how I'm doing by how well and how quickly those markups happen. So when I go back to my LPs and I say, guess what? I just invested in Ryan's company. It went up 10X. Your investment just went up 10X. And it'll probably go up another 10X after that. I look like a hero. How do you get those kinds of outcomes? You artificially grow companies to make them look 10X bigger than they actually are and hope that the company figures it out by the time you know all the gas runs out. And what you know, or what I know in this case, I'm the investor, is that 18 of those bets are going to fail. I don't care. I mean, I care, but not really if two of them succeed. The difference is I've got 20 bets that I made. You have one. <laughs> you have one. As the founder, you got one, right? It's your bet. You're, you are completely tied to that bet. No, this isn't us saying start multiple companies at once so that you can oh, have God, no, a that. defrayed risk. That's not what that means at all. <laughs> right, right. No, that actually makes it worse. But what we are saying is the investors have a much different game that they're playing, right? And to be fair, that's their prerogative. We're not saying investors are wrong for what they're doing based on the structure they have. That's what they're supposed to do. That's what they're supposed to do. But you have to be, as the founder, you have to be aware of that delta, the, the difference between where their incentives lie and where your incentives lie. There is an intersection between those two, clearly, or deals wouldn't get done. However, they have very, very different underlying principles. And you got to be aware of that, right? Like, so before you enter into this game, make sure that you understand the ground rules and understand what the motivations are and, and what the probabilities of outcomes for you and the investors are. Again, like you said, the investors have lots of shots at this. You've got one for right now. You may have five more in the future, but for now, you've got one. If you've got more than one, kill a couple, get it down to one. Well, it's a couple of things. One of my favorite lies that you know investors tell startups, founders, is once we invest, we're on the same side of the table. And my response to that would be, if this fails, will you be able to pay your mortgage? Because I won't. That's only true if you're having that meeting at a diner. Right. That's the only way that that's true. It's the only time yeah. you're sitting on the same side of the table. Yeah. It's, yeah. 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 No, it, it's not even remotely close. And it's such bullshit. And, it, and like, it makes me laugh because the theory is look, we both want to see this succeed. Yes. Of course. If it's upside, then yes, then we're on the yes, same side. We're on the same side. When times are good, we're on the same team. When times are bad, We've moved on to a couple a couple of new deals. Yeah, only one of us can afford to lose. That does not put us on the same side of the table. Regardless, regardless, when we're thinking about, you know, how we're making these key decisions, we get, we get to this point, Ryan, where like all of a sudden we lose our shit. We yeah, start yeah. making hiring decisions and key product decisions because it, this is my favorite part, because what it'll signal to the market. Yeah, optics, optics, right? Optical illusions are how businesses are built. Yeah, exactly. Right. If we make this move, it will signal to the market, and we mean other investors, that this business is going somewhere. You hear this all the time once companies start to get funded. We want to signal to the market, right? We don't want to do this decision because if we let this person go, it might signal to the market that you know they're not willing to stay here and or we're not a stable company. Not because we shouldn't be doing it, because it will signal to the market. Now, to be fair, those signals actually do exist. Yeah, they do. And they matter to some degree. But our point is, now you're in the business of signaling to the market, right? It's the same reason people complain, private companies complain about going public. They go public and you hear this all the time. The CEOs, the founders usually, uh, who now have to run these companies on a quarterly basis are like, I don't run a company anymore. I run 90 day sprints, right? Trying to signal to the market that we're still viable in our earnings per share are in line with analyst estimates, right? They're like, the company that I built, the product that I built 
right? I don't run anymore. I swear I heard Zuckerberg talking about this in the early days because he had a disproportionate controlling share. His point, it was pretty prescient, was, hey, I want to run a company that is focused on my customers, not the public markets, which, you know, you can do when you're in an inordinate position like he was at the time, less so now where things are with his business currently. But my point is, we're basically in the same boat on a much smaller scale. We're all of a sudden, we're not doing what's right for the customer. We don't even care about the customer because the customer can't pay our bills anymore. Exactly. They can't pay all the bills yet, right? That's that's, that's the idea. But, but like, again, at some point, you've got to make that tr- transition because if the, if the customers can't pay your bills today, I can guarantee you one thing. The investors will not keep paying them tomorrow. There comes a point at which that money just isn't is no longer there, right? You, there, there's no very few companies get to a series Z, right? There's a reason for that. <laughs> you haven't figured it out at some Sounds point. Horrible. People are not going to keep giving you money. So you have to make this transition. I mean, I, how you balance that becomes a much more difficult question, right? In terms of, of how do we appease and attract and influence investors? And how do we simultaneously build towards the customer need? But suffice it to say, you have to figure that out. That's not something like, well, like someday. Yeah, well, better be sooner than later. You're going to run out of money before someday comes. And somebody's going to stop handing you cash to figure that shit out, right? But we see this coming. It's such a paradox because as we're raising money and for folks that are, you know, kind of looking ahead, maybe you're in your pre-seed round, seed round, or just thinking about raising capital. At first, this isn't quite as much of an issue. It's an issue to the extent that you're vulnerable. You don't have any cash. So any investor money is kind of like live or die. But when you start to get further ahead, particularly when you get things like payroll, right? You've got 50, 100 people that you now have on payroll. And you know that if you don't make decisions that appease investors, you can't pay those people. I mean. Who's not going to pay attention to that? I had a guy that I, I had lunch with today. Great guy. Just came out of a Series C company. Just did a 40% riff. Reduction in force. For those not familiar with the term. And he's like, you know what? The whole time we're, we're chasing investor dollars. We, we never got there with customer dollars. And I get it. I understand why. But there's no version where that CEO is looking at that business going, yeah, screw the investors. Who cares? Right? Let's just focus on customers. I don't care that, that I have 150 people on payroll right now. <laughs> like, I'll do whatever the investors want at that point. And honestly, I don't think that's great for investors either. Like you might look at it and say, oh, they get better terms. They can squeeze you. Who cares if you're squeezing a business that makes no money? Yeah. yeah. Enjoy squeezing the stones, right? It doesn't doesn't help at all. Yeah, it's uh it is. It's such a it's such a paradoxical thing, right? Which is that you you have to do it in the beginning to get the money so that you can go chase down the viability to actually be able to service customers. Look, there are times where this is more necessary than others. I just, in most cases where I think we're, when we pick these things apart and we're looking at them ad hoc, the options were there to not do this, right? You didn't have to do that, right? They started to chase growth and pace instead of just productivity, profitability, right? So we don't have to move super fast as long as we're moving in the right direction. I think this is a big part of what we we see is that you start to accelerate before you really have a good directional vector and now you've pointed yourself clearly in, into the investor desires, but you've now missed the customer, which also doesn't make the investor happy longer term, right? Once they can see that you've gone the wrong direction, this is where you end up in that, you know, funding uh, no one's land where you're just wandering around in the desert of money, hoping to find an oasis that will give you enough cash to make it through until you find those customers, right? Like those people were so happy to give us money and we were making them so happy with all the things we're doing. They too know that at some point, the business has to generate money on its own. They can't make money with their own money. And it's not you need two investors, right, man? Like, like when I ran an agency and we had a $50 million client, 
they could tell us whatever they want because that's where our money was coming from, right? Like we didn't have a choice. If they said, hey, we want you guys to all to wear blue shirts every day, we're all wearing blue shirts. Like whatever they wanted, we were going to do. That's customer capital, but it's the same premise, right? Like wherever the money comes from, you know, it's the golden rule. She with the gold rules, right? And in every case, if you don't have control over that, like in certain businesses, you have great customer distribution. We have that here at startups.com. You know, we have lots and lots of customers that pay a very tiny amount. Collectively, it adds up, but any one customer isn't kind of driving us. But for a lot of businesses, like enterprise businesses, like we we're talking about with, with professional services, they have these very same issues. They just look like customers instead of investors. But I'm okay with that because if they're demanding something, that translates to revenue. Like that's exactly. <laughs> and, and good. Typically on an ongoing basis, right? Now, this does happen where like you can get misled by customer feedback at the early stage of like, oh, it needs this feature. Oh, it needs that feature. Then you build it and you're like, okay, now you got to pay more for that feature. Like, yeah, we didn't really want that. But to your point, when you're talking about a big enterprise deals, big clients, you're doing that because they will keep giving you money if you keep doing that. And that is the way it looks with investors up to a point. But then there comes a time where there's just, there's not, they're not going to continue to fund something that's clearly not working on the customer side of things. So you have to constantly be doing the calculus on that and paying attention to when do we need to shift the balance of our focus from keeping investors happy to provide us the dry powder to get to the customers and just taking a very myopic customer focus to make sure that we have revenue. And again, maybe you don't, maybe you don't eclipse your burn rate with that customer capital. But at least you've got something to fall back on. If you're still so revenue poor that there's no version of even keeping the lights on at the business in any way, shape, or form, maybe it takes a riff. Maybe it takes a major reduction in what you're trying to accomplish, but you can still fall back on something. You've got that, right? There's no fallback version on the investor side, right? Like anybody who's ever tried to raise a down round in this situation will understand exactly what that looks like. Nobody loves it, right? Nobody's out there like, yep. I'm a down round investor. That's that's where I like to play, right? <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah, not real popular. So look, here's what I would say. It's not that you're not going to be leveraged by investors. You take somebody else's money, you are going to be leveraged. I don't care where you stand in the cap table, how you do your voting rights. If somebody else is controlling the purse strings, and if you don't have your own revenue, right, you know, to cover your own meals, you are going to be beholden to somebody else. That's a given, okay? And we do that, and that's part of the process. However, the part that I think you know, we're really trying to push here is there has to be something in the back of your mind that's constantly saying, you know, I think if we take this further, if we hire ahead of ourselves, if we take on that office space, if we take on these major liabilities, I don't know that we'll be able to recover from that. And if we do that, we are almost fully consigning ourselves that the only way we'll ever pay our bills in the future are going to be from investors, of which we have little to no control over. We have no products to build for them. And the only thing we'll be able to do from that point on is build pitch decks to raise capital. And for most of us, we don't want to be in the capital raising business. We want to be in the product business. And we have one shot early on through this thing to set that direction. And that's where we need to be focused. So in addition to all the stuff related to founder groups, you've also got full access to everything on startups.com. That includes all of our education tracks, which will be funding, customer acquisition, even how to manage your monthly financers. There's so much stuff in there. All of our software, including BizPlan for putting together detailed business plans and financials, LaunchRock for attracting early customers, and of course, Fundable for attracting investment capital. When you log into the startups.com site, you'll find all of these resources available.